Well, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to give us life and life more abundantly. Thank you for being a good father to us who gives good gifts to his children. And thank you, Lord, for blessing us to be a blessing. We are most like you when we give. For Father, you so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son. And I'm so glad, Lord, that the majority of us in this room have believed upon Jesus. And we have eternal life. That our sins are forgiven. We've been adopted as your sons and daughters. Full of new purpose, new hope, new joy. Thank you, God. And I thank you that you've given us your word that we can understand your mind, that we can understand a little bit about your nature and your character and what you require of your creation. Thank you for the word and thank you that you give teachers to the church, pastors, evangelists to the church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Thank you, Lord, for what we were able to do yesterday. Lord, we want to do more. So would you show us, would people from our ministry um, show up in Antioch to assist with one gen? May folks, Lord, who may not be able to get out, maybe they can help inside the church. There's so much work to be done. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given each of us a spiritual gift to be able to do that work in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, God, I need the power of the Holy Spirit that I can teach your word and encourage your people now. Thank you, Lord. I know you're going to do an awesome thing because your word will not return to you void. This preacher is void, but your word is not. But Lord, when this preacher submits to you, you fill this empty vessel. Thank you, God. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When God wanted to save the world, he gave his son. And when God wanted to change the world, he planted a local church. Oh, that went right over your head. I got to say it one more time. When God wanted to save the world, he gave his only begotten son. And when God wanted to change the world, he planted a local church. Because the local church has been described as the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And yesterday at the Bless Fest, we were able to, to provide hope to an entire community on the south side. The church was able to bring together different agencies, um, folks who just wanted to serve. And I'm so glad that we got to work with people who could not only provide food and haircuts and clothes and toiletries, but also job training, clothes for uh, job interviews. Uh, there was health screenings, blood pressure going on. I mean, it was so much happening yesterday because as the church, 
we were ministering holistically to people, making sure that their bellies would be filled and that their souls would be satisfied. And at the beginning of the morning, after Chris had shared with all the volunteers what to do and how we're going to do it, he then had me pray. And I prayed for everyone. And then when I walked away from the volunteers towards all of our wonderful friends who were in line to get all of the services, they said to me, can you pray over here for us too? I said, absolutely. So I started praying to God and the Spirit led me to pray that he would heal folks of diabetes and all kinds of things that he would provide and, and make a way out of no way. And it was like... As Pastor Chris said, we were having church outside because, believe it or not, and this is a way, as Ebony talked about the church not being judgy, we have a tendency of thinking that just because people are low income that they don't know Jesus. <laughs> Do not get that twisted because people who are low income are rich in faith and they can tell us a few things about Jesus. So we were having church, and it was a wonderful time. And so many of the folks were saying, uh, where's your church? Where's your church? Now, we weren't out there trying to promote our church. We were just out there trying to serve. Our hearts were in the right place. We weren't giving to people to get something from them so we could pat ourselves on the back and uh, report numbers to people. Again, numbers are important, but the motive of your heart. Why are you doing what you're doing? And we weren't trying to get people to come into our church necessarily. We were just trying to take the church to the people. And they asked without us soliciting, where is your church? Because they never saw a pastor, I guess, can flow with the Gap Band one minute and the Canton Spirituals the next. They, they, they just, you know, I'm out there, you know, doing what I do. And they're like... <laughs> had an old deacon walk up to me, say, son, are you the one that's over all of this? I said, yes, sir. Why y'all playing that secular music and gospel music? I said, sir, uh, there's some good messages in the secular songs, and it's okay, sir. It's all right. Mm, he just walked off. Because <laughs> we're free in the Lord, man. Amen. But folks were saying, where's your church? And we're giving out, you know, cards with instructions on them. And, uh, and I think the big thing is they're wanting to know, when are we going to see y'all again? And, and I'm so glad that it's not up to one church. It's up to the church. And that there are many churches, as we said last year, when we cast this vision, there are churches and ministries on the ground every day, every week. And they just need a little encouragement themselves. And we've come alongside to join them in the work because that's not necessarily our neighborhood. But we go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, man, it was such a good time. And when I started thinking about the church yesterday, I had to change my sermon, thanks to Sister Tony, because I had something else scheduled today from 1 Corinthians 7. We were going to talk about relationships. Uh, we'll save that for next week because it is Family Sunday and we got chillings in here today. 
So I can't talk about all that 1 Corinthians 7 stuff. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, we're going to have a good time there. But I want to give you the background to the church of Corinth today because I think it's very pertinent to where we are. Because in the book of Acts, which speaks of the birth and movement of the local church, there were four prominent centers to the church movement. Number one, Jerusalem, the church, first church that was birthed. And then we see the church at Antioch, really the first true multi-ethnic church with multi-ethnic leadership. And then there was the church at Ephesus and then the church of Corinth. So there were many church plants, uh, many areas where Paul went to plant churches. But those four areas are pretty much the main, uh, we would say, epicenters of the church movement. And when we think about Corinth, Corinth was the chief city of Greece. And it was a hornet's nest of hedonism due to its constant influx of travelers. So Corinth was very hedonistic because it had people coming in from all over the place because Corinth was situated on a four and a half mile isthmus between two harbors. Corinth was a major crossroads for tra traders and travelers. And this Greek city was a thriving metroplex composed of people from various cultural, religious, ethnic, and economic backgrounds. And at the height of its power, Corinth had a free population of 200,000 people, but watch this, and a slave population of a half million. So there were more slaves in Corinth than there were free people. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks when Paul says, if you can get your freedom, then get it. But it's better to be Christ's slave than to be free and not know Christ. So we're going to talk about the culture of slavery, which is nothing like the transatlantic slave trade and what happened here in America for, uh, for 250 years. So, so we're going to have a good time dropping knowledge on that. But Corinth's prime location as a seaport regularly brought many kinds of deviant people into the city, making the city a cesspool of sexual immorality. So I guess when all these folks got off the cruise ships and uh, they came into the city, they brought with them a lot of sexual immorality. So Corinth contained approximately 12 temples to pagan deities, with the most and one of them was Poseidon or Aquaman. And the most famous temple was dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And the worship of Aphrodite came with over 1,000 male and female temple prostitutes. So if you were going to worship Aphrodite, you were joined with a prostitute, either male or female, because prostitution was a huge part of the city's culture and commerce. And so the term to Corinthianize became a synonym for immorality. So that's how it's kind of like Vegas. What goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas legal prostitution on the streets, but it's Vegas probably to the 10th power. And so if you were to live like a Corinthian or to Corinthianize, that meant that you were one who lived a life of debauchery. You were out there. You were lost. And it was in this city, let the church say this city, that God decided to pierce the darkness 
and unlock the gates of hell by planting a local church. It was in that city that God says, oh, there needs to be light in the midst of the darkness. And in Acts chapter 18, beginning at verse 1, we see why we're going to call this message today, when God cares for a city. When God cares for a city. Look at verse 1. I want to just point out a couple of things and then we're going to go to these smoke machines. Verse 1 says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. After these things, he departed from Athens and went to Corinth. The first thing I want you to see is that when God cares for a city, he will raise up a godly leader in that city or send a godly leader to that city. So Paul was in Athens and he had been on Mars Hill debating all the philosophers about the unknown God. He comes 50 miles to the east to go into another Greek city called Corinth. And so as Paul is going there, we see that God knows how to raise up a godly leader or bring a godly leader into a city at just the right time. A godly leader is someone who has influence, integrity, and a sense of divine calling. That's a leader. If you're a leader, you have influence. And if you're a godly leader, you have integrity. And if you're a leader, you have a sense of purpose, a sense of calling. And in the case of a Christian leader, a sense of a divine calling, a higher calling that's been placed on your life. And when God starts a shift, or when God wants to do a major movement, he usually begins with a person. In this case, a man. When God's going to do something, when he's going to shift, when he's going to do something that's going to change culture, touch society, he starts with a person, one person. In this case, he starts with a man, and this man happened to be Paul. And throughout all of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we see how God can use one person who's not qualified, by the way, but that person is called, and grace makes up the difference because nobody comes to the table ready to be used by God. And so if I were to go back, God called Noah, one person, to really save society through his family. And Noah found favor. He didn't earn favor because you can't earn favor. You can only receive it. And the only reason he could find it was because favor found him first. And God used a man to change the world at the time. And then from Noah, we go to Abram, who became Abraham. And from that one man, one family, with a barren wife, God says, I'm going to bless every family on the face of the earth through you. Because God and one person is a majority. You know, all you need, we sang today, if he is for us. And when he's for you, that's all you need. So when he calls you, it may be the world against you, but you're standing with God and God is standing with you. Then we go on from Abraham on over to Isaac and Jacob, whose name was turned into Israel and the 12 sons, one of them being Joseph, who saved the nation from famine. And then there was Moses, who led the people out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. When God's ready to do something, he'll find somebody because he never calls the qualified, but he qualifies those whom he calls and he raises them up. And even in the Old Testament, we go from Moses to David. 
Then we come into the New Testament to Jesus, the son of the living God. And from Jesus, we got Peter, Paul, on and on and on. He'll use one person. And so God will touch the heart of a person to go to a city or in that city to rise up and say, Lord, here am I, send me, use me. In the book of Ezekiel, God says, uh, uh, I, I was going to destroy the land, but I couldn't find one man to stand in the gap so that I wouldn't do it. I couldn't find one man. But when God finds one man, he withholds judgment and he dispenses the gospel of grace. One person can do great things for God. But secondly, we're going to see that when God cares for a city, he will assemble a team around that godly leader. Look at verse 2. Paul, it says, he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. So this is an anti-Semitic uh, abuse of power to put down people to get them out of town. So isn't it a shame when leaders misuse their power against certain people because of racism. Oh, I wish I could stop and park there, but I got a smoke machine and I got to keep rolling. But I think we can apply this in reverse too when you have leaders who don't want to let people in because of where they come from. But anyway, there was this edict mm -hmm, that, that, that he wanted to put them out of Rome. And so God can still hit a bullseye with a crooked stick. And so he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation, they were tent makers. Uh, uh. So Paul, uh, he supported himself when other folks weren't supporting him. He had a trade. He could make tents. Aquila and Priscilla also made tents. These would be the people who would form his leadership team. Because God will call a person, but that person can't do it by him or herself. There has to be a team. So we see Aquila and Priscilla. Later in verse 5, you'll see Silas and Timothy. And in verse 7, you'll see justice. Because when the community sees the leader and they'll buy into the visionary before they buy into the vision. But if the visionary comes alone, people are wondering, what's up with that leader? But when the leader comes with other people, that speaks of validation and support. Oh, and I got to tell you that on this team that God was forming organically, there was diversity of gender because you had all these men, but you also had Priscilla. Oh, if I had time, I'd tell you that Priscilla was the one with the teaching gift and not her husband, Aquila. And together, they discipled Apollos, a fiery African preacher from Egypt. They taught him the way of God more thoroughly. And then later, there was a church that met in their house, and her name is always listed first, which may speak to the fact that she was the teacher of that house church. But I ain't trying to make nobody mad today. I'm going to keep on going. But don't sleep on the sisters. Don't sleep on the sisters. There was diversity of gender and diversity of ethnicity. What you talking about, Pastor? Silas, homeboy, was a Roman citizen. So all these Jewish people, you had a lady and you had a Gentile, you had a Roman cat because his name is also known as Silvanus. And so when Paul and he got arrested in Acts 16, Paul said, you have arrested Romans unlawfully. So he had a diverse team because if you're going to reach a diverse city, you've got to have a diverse team to do it. Because if people are going to come to your church, they want to see people in the church that look like the people in the city. Oh, boy, this can get me thrown out of a lot of black churches. 
Because a lot of black churches don't want to do nothing with white folk. Uh, this can get me thrown out of some white churches. This can get me thrown out of some Russian churches. This can get me thrown out of some Latino churches. But I don't care as long as the Lord don't throw me out of his kingdom, which is diverse. Oh, I ain't got time. I, I wish I could go there. Oh, my God. But thirdly, thirdly, when God cares for a city, he will give that leader and that team a strategy to reach the community. Look at verse 4. It says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Oh, when you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul was a synagogue buster. That was his strategy. He went to the synagogues. Why? Because people in the synagogues are people who are, were just like, are just like he was. Because, because he knows how to reach them because he was once one of them. But he just didn't stay with the Jews. He was also known as the apostle to the Gentiles. So he loved his own people. He would give anything and everything he could to see Jewish people come to faith. But he also loved himself some Gentiles as well. He's a model for us of how to do ministry. And they would go bust synagogues up. Now, when Strong Tower Bible Church first started, uh, we would uh, do uh, not the synagogue, but the basketball court. That's how Strong Tower got started. In 1993, when Doreena and I came to Franklin and started working with Christ Community Church, we would go, well, I would go hoop with the homies. That was back when I had cartilage in both knees. <laughs> the crossover was like, yo, the J, the finger roll from the top of the key like George Gervin. Some of y'all don't know who that is. But anyway... Because when, when, when you can, you know, do what you got to do to a homie, then tell them about Jesus. I mean, yo, that's, that's what's up. That's what's up. And so I, I did this all-night basketball hoop night jam in 1993 to just try to reach the community. We did a three-on-three -three basketball tournament to reach the community. And the winner of the tournament, I took to Chicago to see Michael Jordan play in the playoffs against, I think, the New York Knicks. So them brothers not only signed up, they were beating each other up in that three-on-three -three tournament. It was blood, sweat, and tears. But man, there were about 400 people packed into the Williamson County Recreation Center that night. And I shared the good news of Jesus. And it was a way to introduce myself to the community. There were a couple of y'all who were there. Tabitha was there. Okay, Terrence was there. And y'all still riding with a homie. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's how we got into the community going to the basketball courts, just hanging out with folks. But not only that, we would do Bible studies. Uh, we would do school visitations. I would go up to Freedom Middle. I would go up to uh, 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 Franklin Intermediate. I would go to Franklin High School and sit down and have lunch with the kids. I would get to know them and their teachers, all of that stuff. My presence was consistent in the community so that I could have the ability and the privilege to meet felt needs like helping kids with food and clothing, legal support, sometimes housing, and even employment opportunities. So there was a strategy. There was a strategy to reach the city. Paul went to the synagogues. This church still goes to schools. We've got like three schools we still serve. We still help meet felt needs because it's hard to hear the gospel when your stomach is growling. 
It's hard to hear the gospel when you're cold. It's hard to hear the gospel when your baby needs diapers. So we build the kingdom by meeting a need. And when you meet a need, folks will be tripping like, why are you doing this? The reason why we're doing this to you is because God does this to us. And we're just passing on what God gives to us. That's it. That's the gospel. That's why that jailer said in Acts 16, what must I do to be saved? He saw the gospel. He wanted the gospel. Nobody came up to him with five uh, Ps. Uh, you, you got a problem. You got a penalty. No, man, they saw the gospel. And when folks start asking you, what must I do to be saved? The Holy Ghost is working. Oh, man. Fourth, when God cares for a city, he will turn opposition into opportunity. In verses 5 through 7, people started opposing Paul. They opposed him. But Paul didn't let opposition stop him. Matter of fact, he expected opposition. Because when they opposed him, he just went next door. They kicked him out of the synagogue. He went next door to the home of the guy that lived by the synagogue. And while he's next door at this house, the synagogue ruler gives his life to Jesus, which means he gets kicked out of the synagogue and he comes next door too. So opposition gets turned into an opportunity. And if you do ministry long enough, you know you're going to be resisted because we're coming in here unlocking the gates of hell. And the thing that was meant to take Paul out took him up. Oh, yeah, they tried to take him out. Get out of here. But he ended up taking Paul up because he just went next door. It's kind of like when you're waiting on God to open the door, praise him in the hallway. God, God, God is not going to be stopped by opposition. Fifth, when God cares for a city, he will save many souls and establish his church. Uh, look at verse 8. After the synagogue ruler comes to Christ, it says in verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. So one man with power, authority, gives his life to Jesus Christ. Other folks see what's going on. The Spirit of God is drawing men and women. People come to faith in Christ, and they have enough courage to be baptized and to be baptized in that day is a whole lot different than our day because in that day it marked you for persecution. And so people were not ashamed of the gospel. They were baptized, which was the first step of discipleship. Make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them. And so now we see the organic formation of a local church is happening. Not because some big denomination said, they sure have a lot of money in Williamson County. Let's plant another church over there. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. That was not good. But y'all do know there are ministries who like to build on other folks' foundations. <laughs> oh, boy. I got to I can't stop. The prophet in me has to be balanced with the pastor in me, and I got to stay on point. Oh, Lord, thank you. Mm -mm -mm. So we see the formation of this church. Sixth and finally, when God cares for a city, he will encourage the leader to keep on going. Look at verse 9. This, this, these two verses, 9 and 10, are so precious to me. The Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision. Stop and pause. Why, why do you have to talk to him in the night? Because sometimes when you're doing the work of the Lord, the adversity is crazy coming at you. And you're up at night. 
You can't sleep sometime. You're burdened for what you're seeing. You're praying. You're asking God for help. And Jesus saw this great apostle still needed some encouragement. So the Lord came personally. He didn't send an angel. He spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. And what did he say to him? Number one, do not be afraid. The great Paul has some fear. Yeah, because he took some beatdowns along the way. And I know he's tough and rough, but he's still a man. And he was still struggling a little bit. And the Lord says, I know you're afraid, but don't be afraid. But speak and do not keep silent. Because when you're afraid, the temptation as a pastor is to not say it. But there are things a pastor has to say. Because God has called us to be prophetic at times. And to be prophetic means that when you start saying the stuff that God tells you to say, it's usually the stuff the community doesn't want to hear, but it's the stuff the community needs to hear. And at that point, you got to decide, am I trying to be popular or am I trying to be obedient to the master? Because if I say it, I may not get a whole lot of amens. If I say it, they may stone me. And so he's saying to him, don't be silent. Speak up. We got all these false gods around here. Paul, speak. Do not keep silent but also speak with the heart of a pastor. Because after people hear the truth, somebody's got to be there to bind up the brokenhearted. I need you to have this mantle of being prophetic and being pastoral. Speak, my brother. And then Jesus says to him, for I am with you. And that's the thing that matters most. I'm, he said that to Moses. He said that to Abraham. I'm with you. And then he says, and no one will attack you to hurt you. Because I know you've been hurt before by people you've been trying to minister to. Sometimes the people that hurt you the most are the people you try to serve the most. But I want you to keep going, man. No one will attack you to hurt you. The weapon may form against you, Paul, but it's not going to prosper. And then here it is right here. This just, man, this is, oh boy. And then Jesus says, for I have many people in this city. That's what Jesus said. I have many people in this city. I got some Jews in this city. I got Gentiles in this city. I got men, women, boys, girls, rich, poor, slave, free, sailors, philosophers, athletes, and politicians in this city. And guess who else I got in this city? I got some prostitutes in this city. I got some fornicators in this city. I got idolaters and adulterers and homosexuals and sodomites in this city. I've got thieves and drunkards, revilers and extortioners. How do I know those people were in the city? Because Paul lists them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he says to that church, and such were some of you. But you've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been justified. So Jesus says, I've got many people in this city. And guess what? Just like uh, uh, my sister said, they are Jesus' people. Jesus says they're my people. And I love them. That's why I came. I came for them. And if the religious people would put their nose down, they would realize that I came for them too. And they are just as unrighteous as the people who are not religious. Because I came to call the unrighteous and the sick to be healed. Jesus says, those are my, I got a lot of people, Paul, in this city. So, man, be strong, brother. Verse 11, after that vision, the Bible says, and he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. After Jesus spoke to him, he said, I, I can go on now. 
and I'm going to stay here. And at this point, this was the longest place he had ever stayed in one place. And he stays there for 18 months. Strong Tower, all these things I preach today are true of my journey and they're true of Strong Tower Bible Church. But they are also true of another church and another pastor. On August 25th, 2013, we had our very first worship service in this building after having spent 17 and a half years in Franklin. Some said there was a void left in Franklin once God called us out of Franklin. A void of a multi-racial, multi-ethnic church led by a black man. People said, man, Franklin is missing you, Pastor Chris. Franklin misses Strong Tower. But I knew God was not calling us back to Franklin necessarily. He relocated us for a reason, and he put us here so we could have friends at J.T. Moore and have friends in Edge Hill. He, he just expanded us by moving us here. I still live in Franklin. We still have a heart for Franklin, but he moved us here. But there would be people saying, man, we miss Strong Tower in Franklin. But I knew that wasn't my responsibility. That was God's responsibility. And guess what? In June of 2017, God planted Empowerment Community Church. A church led by a black man who has a heart for multicultural, multiracial ministry. A black man who has a heart for the community. A black man who has a heart to teach the word of God and make disciples. God raised up Empowerment Community Church, and they were under the covering of Franklin Community Church and my friend Kevin Riggs. And they launched out, and like any church plant, they struggled a little bit. If you think planting a church alone, a multiracial one in the South is easy, you ought to try it sometimes. <laughs> and in the course of time, Pastor Walter and I became tight. And one of the reasons we became tight was because he was praying for a black mentor. Because Pastor Kevin is white. But he's like, I need an African-American mentor. So he started praying for a mentor. And so we became tight. But we not only became tight because God heard his prayers, but we became tight because he's married to one of my spiritual daughters, Sister Jessica, who was with us back in the day when I was visiting all the schools and doing all the Bible studies, she and her mom and her family. So he, that boy married. I mean, he, he outkicked his coverage. I mean, that boy is blessed. I mean, he got a godly first lady. My God. So that's, hey, that's another reason why I like the boy. And so we started just getting close. And he said, can you mentor me? Can, can Strong Tower cover our church? Now, let me tell you something. I talked about coveting last week and all that. When you see all these churches planting churches, planting churches, there's a temptation as a pastor to try to plant churches because other churches are planting churches. But that ain't the lane God called me to be in at this time to be a church planter. And you can look down on yourself like, man, I'm not planting churches like my boy up in Philadelphia is doing. Maybe something's wrong. No, God says not every church needs to plant a church because some churches are called to adopt churches that are already planted. That's us. I have a heart for pastors, especially black pastors who want to pastor multiracial churches. And God says, I got somebody I'm bringing to you. And they need to sit with your elders. They need to watch what you guys do. They need to learn from your mistakes. 
and share with them. So Strong Tower Bible Church, we adopted Empowerment Community Church. And uh, like Strong Tower, they have moved to different places. And uh, next Sunday, July 7th, they're moving to a new location. Empowerment Community Church is moving to uh, uh, Poplar Grove Elementary School in Franklin to begin this new season of ministry there. Oh, boy. And again, I re- it reminds me when we move uh, uh, into the Y and from the aerobics room into the gym and, and over to the factory and over to the people's church and over to the other Y. And so this new church is moving. Next Sunday is their first Sunday. And on the 14th, they've invited me to come over at 3 o'clock to dedicate them unto this new season. And when I go, I ain't going by myself because I'm taking a whole lot of y'all with me when we go and dedicate this church. Y'all going to go with, some of y'all going to go with me, 3 o'clock? Come on now. Come on, get, get something to eat, take a short nap, then come. <laughs> and we're going to encourage them. But there's a problem. There's one small problem. I went over with them as they walked through Poplar Grove. I was excited. I was bouncing all over the walls because it took me back down memory lane. And Jessica just looking back at me like, what is my pastor doing? Because she still calls me her pastor. Uh, uh, Brother Walter, you're not, you're her husband, but I'm her pastor. And she looked back and she like, what is my pastor? I'm just happy. I'm happy. Because watch this, watch this, watch this. It's hard to get a church into a school in Williamson County. Because some other church messed it up for everybody. Now they don't want no churches in the schools. But this school went to Empowerment Community Church and said, where do y'all meet? And they said, we meet over here. And they said, would y'all like to meet in our school? And the reason why they went to Walter was because they saw them doing haircuts in the community, doing basketball tournaments in the community, feeding folk in the community. They heard about the church. Then they started asking, where your church meet? And at that time, they needed to make a move. And God provided at the right time. And now next Sunday, they begin at Poplar Grove Elementary School. And on the 14th, they're bringing your boy over to dedicate. But there's a problem. We went in the room, but there's no sound system. Now, Walter can get loud, but we still need a sound system. So they started researching sound systems. A good one, a portable one, costs about $800. I said, okay, let's see if we can help Empowerment Community Church get this sound system that they need for next Sunday, July 7th. That's what the benevolence offering is for. All right. All right. I need you all to do me a favor. I need you to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Where my urshas? Where my urshas? Don't look at the clock. Stop looking at the clock. Stop being Western. We're in Africa this morning. Africans don't look at the clock. Okay, we're in Africa. Walter and Jessica Fleming, I need you to come and stand up here. My ushers, I want you to give each one of them a basket. This is Pastor Walter, everybody, and this is my daughter, Sister Jessica. I've been saying Flemings. I'm still saying Flemings. It's Simmons, though. Is Simmons? Is it Simmons? Okay, all right, so I need to say that right. 
But who's her pastor? I'm her pastor, but her last name belongs to you. All right, thank you, preacher. Thank you, preacher. Strong Tower, we heard today, let's keep giving, right? Let's keep giving. And I'm going to start to giving off. I'm going back old school. I'm going to start off with $100 to get this $800, all right? Okay, Jessica, turn that basket to me. Here you go. Here you go, my sister. All right. Father, bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, God's people. If you got some money, come on. Come on. Give me some traveling music. Come on. Come on and bless them. Come on and bless them. Come on. If you have a check, make it out to Strong Tower and we'll get the money to them. Yeah. Give me some traveling music. Yes. Oh, I'm going to sing. Come on, church. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you've been so wonderful, young people. You've been so wonderful. Come on, let's bless this church. Let's bless this church. We get to do this. We get to participate in the kingdom. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. All right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Brother Joseph, I see you. I love you, man. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's help this church. Jessica Fleming Simmons. Amen. Amen. Let's help this church. Is that Brother Randy? Brother Randy, Randy Watson, Randy. Randy Watson. Yeah. Sister Dorothy, how you doing? All right. That's the church mother right there. All right. Don't mess with her. She got she got she got a little help in her bag. Now don't don't, don't mess with her. She got a little blade in her bag now. All right. All right. Let me see them baskets. Oh, I'm going old school. We're gonna do it again. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> no. Father, thank you for this money. Lord, bless it. Multiply it as you did the fishes and the loaves and made this church, Lord, fill the gap in the community of Franklin and beyond. Bless them to be a blessing. And uh, Lord God, give them the sound system and more. Thank you that you've raised up this leader and his wife. You put a team around him. And many of his church members are here this morning because of how important this season is for them. And when they relaunch next week into a new place, thank you, Lord, that there's new grace. Thank you, Lord God, that there are new opportunities. Thank you, Lord, that you are for them. You are with them. And we bless you for all the increase that shall occur. Change the city. Turn it upside down for Jesus Christ's glory. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen, 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 amen.